welcome to another episode of the Houdat Jedi podcast. This is episode 163 for your scorebooks. And um, with me, and me being Aaron, with me as always, is Dave and Fredo. How are we doing, guys? Doing well. Hey, that's doing good, doing good. How are you doing? Can you believe we've done 163 of these things? That gets to be a little weird. Um, but uh, anyway, so... Um, so tonight we've got, uh, we're going to, we, we've, we actually decided, uh, here not too long ago that, uh, we're going to do something leading you all into the Ahsoka series. Um, because since they have talked about, it, it's kind of a rebels, um, season five, if you will. Um, and some of you, we, we've rambled on and, you know, had glowing reviews of rebels and we've said, you need to do, you need to watch it because it's good. But we think that there are some things in here that is kind of essential for you maybe to, you know, hit the ground running a little bit more with the Ahsoka series. Because as we talked about last week, there's the possibility of who, what, huh? You know, um, and it's like a lot of people like us would be in the know on a lot of things that are going on. Um, And uh, a lot of others might be kind of, like I said, found themselves kind of floundering for the first uh, couple episodes. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to, um, with each week here leading up to the Ahsoka series, we're going to watch two episodes of Rebels. season four so we're going to start with um, episode nine of season four and uh, called rebel assault and then we're going to go into episode 10 which is jedi knight so we're doing this on disney plus so if you want to follow along with us we'll all hit play at the same time and then we're just going to ramble over what we see honestly guys i haven't it's been a it's been a hot minute since i've watched um some of these episodes um but i do know that just to give you a little lead in rebel assault um the rebels are actually launching an offensive to liberate lothal which is lothal is an important planet um if you're going to be thinking about the ahsoka series because if you've seen the trailer that's where sabine and ahsoka are talking um it was ezra uh his uh it was his home planet and by the way uh i guess Maybe I'm just going to pitch it to Dave here real quick. Um, you want to give a kind of a rundown of who the rebels are in this, who our main characters are, and kind of maybe a little bit of their motivation. I know I just threw a total screwball there. Uh, okay, yeah, re- very quickly. You have Kanan, who is a uh, former Jedi Padawan uh, who went into hiding during Order 66. You have Hera, who is a uh, pilot and rebel through and through. Uh, and uh, is kind of the catalyst behind everybody coming together. Also, she uh, owns the ship that they're flying around and getting into adventures in. Um, Called the Ghost, yeah. Yes. Uh, her droid is Chopper, who is the sassiest droid you'll ever meet. Um, more criminal? Yes, and uh, yeah, he's he's got way more of a dark side than R2-D2 ever did. Uh, you have uh, Zeb, the big furry dude, uh, who is uh, just um, 
mostly comic relief, but also has uh, some uh, emotional growth over the course of the series. He's the muscle, the Chewbacca figure. And we did uh, see him in the last season of The Mandalorian for a scene. Everybody peed their pants over that one, including the three of us. So Indeed. Um, you also have Sabine, uh, Mandalorian. Um, maybe for sensitive. We talked about that last week. Um, we don't know where that's going to go, but uh, she has a history, a backstory tied in with the dark saber, which we saw a lot of in the Mandalorian um, over the last couple of seasons. Uh, and then you have Ezra, uh, who is a force sensitive young man who, as you said, grew up on Lothal, which is central to the plot of the series. Uh, he is taken under the wing by Kanan and is on his way to learning the ways of the force, the ways of the Jedi, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's most of the main players. Yep, those, are the main, those are the main players. Um, so what we'll do is we'll watch uh, the first episode. This, like I said, this is episode nine. So if you guys want to be opening it up, it's called rebel assault and get the, get just ready to go. Cause we'll all hit play at the same time. Um, but yeah, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So let's just, oh, we'll, we'll watch the first episode. We'll talk over it, but then we'll just kind of take a pause in between the two of them. Just any final thoughts on the episode we just watched, and then we'll move on to the next one. Um, so again, what we're doing is we're going to be launching an assault to liberate Lothal from the Empire. So here we go in three, two, one, play. You know, I, I do have to say, when I first saw Rebels, the animation kind of bugged me, but holy cow, did it get better in subsequent seasons. Um, well, and I, and I think that's part of the, um, the process of making these shows, because, I mean, just go back and look at the first season of uh, Clone Wars is way stiff. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a far cry from even just this, and... You know, just think back to like last season of Bad Batch, how smoother and far more natural everything looked. The uh, for people who haven't watched uh, this or haven't watched it in some time, um, they're they go through a series of antagonists, um, and the main antagonist by the time we get to the end here is Thrawn, um, and hence him becoming uh, a central figure in, in Ahsoka's story. And he's the blue guy here that you're seeing on screen. He's also the same blue guy that you see in the Ahsoka trailer. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and he got his start in the novels back in the nineties. Uh, um, when the, uh, when we were starved for star Wars content and, and we didn't have anything other than the novels pretty much. Um, there was a Thrawn trilogy, heir to the Empire, um, and uh, he is the central figure in those. One of the things that uh, Thrawn did that was so captivating for the fan base and for you know people, not just the heir to the Empire books, but also this adaptation, is that he's the opposite to most of the villains that we've gotten from Star Wars up to this point. You know, whereas most of them are glowering, menacing, or, you know, think of Darth Vader or the Emperor, you know, there's no cackling with him. There's no, uh, 
grandiose speeches from Thrawn. Thrawn is, Thrawn's shtick is that he is smarter than you and he will show you. He will, you know, you have your grand plan of what you're going to do and he's just going to come out. Nope, I already thought I was 10 moves ahead of you and I'll figure you out. And he's like the uh, evil Hannibal Smith from the 18. <laughs> it's like the Moriarty uh, mm -hmm. of the universe. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where I think we're also worried, what he does is he has a certain respect for the rebels that are coming up against him. I mean, he totally wants to defeat them. He considers them a thorn in his side, but he respects what they're doing and he treats them as a proper threat, which in a way, even most of the uh, early uh, villains in Rebels just kind of saw him as more and more of a headache you know, pain in the butt than anything. You know? So obviously it's kind of tough to talk about just a big space battle, but that's what's going on right now is we got this space battle. Um, well, to your point earlier, this stuff looks better than it did early oh on in the series. Yeah. Um, it's imaginatively conceived. Like you can follow the logic of the battle. They're telling you what's going on, but you can actually see it unfold in a way that makes sense too. Um, and that got way better as the series went along. And we're seeing a, TIE Defenders, uh, which was a TIE fighter that was introduced um, for the most part in, in Rebels. And that's, that is an interesting thing. I mean, I remember Gareth Edwards talking about when they made Rogue One, he said, we gotta, we gotta make TIE fighters, but they gotta, they can't look like we, we have a, have to have, have to have a different kind of TIE fighter. You know, the, you know, the U-Wing also, we have to have a different kind of, and I, you know, it is I mean, I can get past it, but it is kind of, it's tough to kind of argue with the people who are like, why do they introduce all these things as big, bad ships? And then we don't see them in, you know, the original trilogy. The original trilogy. It is, you know, so I don't know. It's when you're, when you're making those choices as a creator, is it like, it must be, we got to keep their interest up rather than continuity. Um, but, uh, so. One of the things that I find interesting is that, particularly for Rebels, the Tide Defender project was introduced as an idea of Thrones. Like, this is something that he's you know, championing, campaigning for within the Imperial military, and that, that brings him into conflict with people like Tarkin, Randolph Tarkin, because he has the Death Star project that he's trying to finish up. And so, even though it's a galactic empire, it's got vast resources, there is this push-pull between the various factions within the Imperial military, all of them saying, I got my pet project and I need that to come to conclusion or to completion because that's what's going to win us this war. And that makes enemies of one another. They're, they're challenging and competing against one another for the vast resources of the Empire. And by the way, we're seeing how, uh, how Thrawn, how evil Thrawn is because he tells his TIE fighter pilot um, to call off the attack and he's and the pilot's going no like almost got almost got her and Thrawn just open fire and uh basically takes out his own guy um and i Rather think it's important evil, also i would say cold-blooded yes right yeah like and again it, it's it's more of a logical he's framing he's a like, tactician this is, yeah yeah I mean, this is like what needs to happen now for us to to win and i think it's also important to say how Thrawn came into this whole thing um the rebels on Lothal were causing the empire too much, you know, of a problem. And so the governor requests 
the seventh fleet. And so he was, he was brought to Lethal to basically just, you know, squash out, you know, everything quickly. Um, so yeah. By the way, if you don't have closed captioning on, you should, because every now and again, you get chopper grunting. <laughs> chopper voiced by Dave Filoni. Yeah. <laughs> it's hey, probably the best, his best uh, job acting. Um, and we had a Wookiee no, no, X-Wing no. pilot, by the way. Anyway, keep going. Mm -hmm. No, I was going to say, it's uh, this, uh, one of the things that I enjoy is I did get to see, by this point in the show, we've gotten to know each of the members of the crew of the Ghost. So the idea of Hera's piloting skills, which get put on display here, just comes up natural. Of course, you'll find a, a very difficult but you no know, exciting way to resolve her getting China attacked by a Thai defender. I forgot how long this opening battle was in mm -hmm. this episode. The um. But yeah, you you get to establish a. This is actually a pretty good episode for establishing certain things because, like, if you haven't sat down and watched the series, it might be worth your while just to sit down and watch these last several episodes. Um, and again, you get an, an idea right away of her, her not only Hera's abilities but how important she is to the rest of her team. At this point, you have established a family dynamic within the ghost, and mm -hmm. that's going to come important as we go towards the finale. Oh, and here we got Rug. Yeah, that was uh, voiced by um, Warwick Davis, actually. Mm -hmm. And, oh yeah, I remember, this is actually, <laughs> I think it's this episode, it's one of my, is it? Is it this one? Well, well, we'll find out later, but I just love it. They're looking through the binoculars at Rook, and Rook then looks at him and, you know, scares Zeb. It's kind of funny. Um, Fredo, when you saw Rook uh, appear in, in, in this, did you get a little excited? Because, again, I hadn't really read the Heir to the Empire books, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. I think if somebody had read those books, they might have got more out of that. Yeah, no, it was, it was a surprise. I mean... Because much like uh, uh, what you call Thrawn, Rook is somebody who is, comes out of, in a different role from the uh, Timothy Son trilogy. But uh, I love the fact that they brought him here. They made him a servant, so to speak, or an, or an agent of uh, Thrawn in a way in which he serves him. He's his like, main enforcer, assassin, infiltrator whatever you want to yeah, call he's it. like frank he's like frank nitty right mm -hmm. yeah. very much so yeah yeah he's like he's his number one guy that he sends uh to take care of stuff that he trusts nobody else to solve and uh of course you know Hera crash lands on lothal city so i need somebody to go get her and by, the, Rook. by the way some of these uh watching rebels the guys that this is there are so many tips of the hat to ralph mccory uh, oh yeah yeah to, like i was just thinking about that when you saw the the outskirts of capital city and it looked exactly like a macquarie painting um but they used a lot of his designs and a lot of his uh style in the design of different elements of this series 
which is which is way oh, what's cool. that? yeah uh, and some of his unused uh designs and things of that nature like you see his original concepts of like the droids and uh, that's one of the ones that really jumps out at me because they're they they use that yep. design of that droid and that droid in a really interesting way but yeah like the landscapes the way that things are drawn um and they, for those they pull of you that inspiration who, and those repeatedly. of you who don't know ralph mccory was like the art director um he wrote did, did um, like all of the concept art for uh the original trilogy basically um yeah. so I mean, the, I mean the design of seb is the original idea that he had for wookies before wookies became the harry fun loving characters that we know from chewbacca and if and if it wasn't for him if it wasn't for ralph mccory think of what star wars try to think about what star wars would have looked like probably a lot more like buck rogers um <laughs> yeah well, I, I mean famously the most famous design he comes up with is darth vader and the idea of darth vader wearing a mask comes from this concept that he would be able to go from imperial star destroyer to imperial star destroyer cross space and so they're like, well, how is he breathing in space? So they gave him a mask. And then at some point, George takes that idea out, says it doesn't make any sense, but he keeps the mask. And that's where we get Darth Vader. There's, um, and there's a lot of connective tissue when you think about the fact that it's Macquarie's drawings and we're circling back around to a story that's set before A New Hope. And, mm -hmm. and it makes sense for them to go back to that kind of an aesthetic mm -hmm. and um, it really sort of ties into the original trilogy in a, in a much more um, meaningful way, at least for me. I mean, and this is something that Dave Filoni did also during Clone Wars because like um, uh, they repurposed so much stuff that they get used, like think back to some like the Night Sisters. Uh, which were designed, I want to say that was Doug Chang, not Ralph McQuarrie, but that was the design for a Sith witch that he had come up with for Phantom Menace. And again, it was too scary to use in that movie. They put it aside, but when uh, they're looking to have it brought back, you know, designed the Night Sisters, or, you know, boom, there you go. They have something already made. So this is something that I think they kind of focused on tremendously was we don't throw anything away, we just use it this way now i like uh harris sense of justice that that is on display here she sees them picking on a droid and that fires her up to do something mm -hmm. and the stormtroopers in rebels are like comically useless it's like they they you know everybody had the joke of you know stormtroopers can't hit anything but it's like it does not take anybody anything to take out a stormtrooper in the in this show and it's like i said it's comical i don't say i'm not well, saying that as a criticism but it's kind of just they're the keystone cops of of this what's the joke that uh that um uh rex and uh Kanan make when they're trying to infiltrate another imperial base it's like they get a, a shuttle and they're like wait is that the same shuttle we stole last time it's like, I'm not sure it might be. I think it's different. You know, it's different. So why do they keep letting us steal these things? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I thought it was the same one. So it kind of goes to show, yeah, the, the, the Empire. Now, to be fair, there's moments where the Empire proves itself to be nefarious and horrible. But I think because this was a show that was on Disney, or Disney XD, 
they kind of knew they had to try to balance between how dark and how um, silly they could get. So, you know, okay. So right before I came to, to do the podcast with you guys tonight, um, I was watching a special on PBS on Ben Franklin. And obviously he's talking about the American revolution and everything like that. And I was thinking, just thinking right now, it's like, I mean, as much as everybody says, you know, like return of the Jedi was, you know, it's, it's like a retelling of the Vietnam war and stuff like that. I mean, the whole star Wars saga, I mean, it, it does mirror the American revolution in that the British were just so overconfident and these insurgents just kept just being obnoxious, you know, to the point of we can't afford to do this or, or you have the, the empire thinking nobody's going to get past our, you know, defenses and the British, same thing. And, um, so it's, I'm sorry, that was just kind of a, a tangent here. Um, but it, uh, but it, but it, uh, it goes to a point that, uh, I think speaks to why the, the rebellion ultimately wins is because the empire, doesn't take them seriously until it's too late, which is something that I think we saw also in Andor, uh, where uh, it takes somebody to look at all the disparate, you know, events, the, this theft here, this assault here, these two guys meeting over there, and nobody seeing everything all at once, not recognizing, no, there's a bigger thing happening on the, you know, just be, you know, beyond our sight. And, uh, that's part of the reason why, in so many ways, the empire does is not able to crush the rebellion quickly. I will say, I've mentioned before, things that I'm I'm going to put worried about in air quotes, folks. It's I'm glad Thrawn is going to be the same voice that we got. You know, it's the same actor. Mm-hmm. You know, these others, Hera. I mean, what's distinctive about Harris, oh, oh, Harris character is Vanessa Marshall's voice. Um, but we got to pause here for a second because was that just a wolf? Did we just see a loath wolf? No, it was a loath wolf. Yeah. That was the loath wolf. Yeah, we just we have a loath wolf, um, which is a wolf on Lothal. Um, they come into play here big time. But this one is staring down Kanan, and it's going to be very important. I think one of, because, one of because, the interesting I'm sorry, aspects... Sorry, sorry, pause for a second, because the wolf just said Doom, D-U-M-E. Now, if you didn't have subtitles on, you wouldn't know that it was D-U-M-E. When I was watching this, I just, Doom, D-O-O-M. That's what I heard, you know. Um, but that name, Doom, is very important. Um, and I guess we can give it away now, is that, you know, Cain and Jairus, his original name was Caleb Doom, D-U-M-E. So how does this wolf know his last name and this goes to kind of the point i wanted to talk about regarding how saloni expresses the presence of the force without being direct and telling you because uh in season two we can introduce to the bendu on the planet where they're having uh copper base and then uh that's a character that strides the force in the middle, up to the light, not to the dark. Uh, and Great he, Jedi, and that's that's a character I would really like to see in Ahsoka, and it may not be too far fetched to see her 
talking to the Bendu. Anyway. But yeah, but I think that the Lothwolves on uh, Wolves and Lothal serve a similar function because they're cryptic. Because you don't, you're not know, you know, supposed to know why the heck is wolf appearing out of nowhere? How the heck do the wolves are talking through the forest to uh, Canaan? Why they're saying doom until the end? But I think they're a good way of explaining you know, or presenting the esoteric nature of the force. It's not coming out and telling you flat out you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to go here. It's just kind of hinting and guiding, and ultimately you're the one who has to follow the will of the force or not. He does do a good job of that. That the uh, the pergol are another example, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> more Keystone cops and. Uh, well, but, I mean, to, uh, to Fredo, to your point, it's all. I mean, Yoda says it in Empire Strikes Back. The Force is in the tree, in the rock, in the you know, all this mm-hmm. organic things. And so I think as fans, we've gotten accustomed to the only people that have the Force are Jedi and Sith. And then they all freak out when somebody, when something or somebody else is, you know, communing with the force. And I think, um, and Filoni would not have done that without the blessing of George Lucas, especially during the rebels and clone wars part of things. I mean, now he might be feel more free to, you know, branch out and do some things, but I, he wouldn't have done any of this without, you know, knowing that George Lucas was behind it. And I think that's it. But I, but I do love that 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 is an idea in terms of um, that you're not just supposed to be hearing the Force through, or that the Force doesn't just belong to the main characters or just the, the Force-sensitive ones, Jedi. I said it's one of the bones that I had with uh, Rise of Skywalker regarding the heroic bloodlines, you know, you got to be somebody's son or daughter or godson, grandson or granddaughter in order to matter in this story. But the whole point is the force is everywhere. It's in everyone. It's in everything. And uh, that idea that it exerts its own will upon the galaxy. It's always interesting. Governor Price, good villain. Good mm-hmm. villain um, for, for this series. And actually just for Star Wars. Um, seems very similar to what we got from Dead Ramiro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 uh, level of bureaucratic uh, agent who believes in the order of the empire, believes in ruthless. the way that the empire is yeah. doing things. Yeah, and in order to you know understands that to climb that quote unquote corporate ladder, you know, being ruthless is the name of the game. So Hera has been ki- has been captured by mm-hmm. the empire. Um, and I think now we're, yeah, we're coming up on the end of the episode here, but they're going to have to figure out how to get Hera back. And we're left with, um, a grunting loath wolf, um, growling softly. And that's this episode. <laughs> so, I mean, this episode, you know, rebel assault, it was just setting up plain and simple. The next one. I mean, these, these two are really one episode. Um, because that was all mm-hmm. space battle and, and running from the cops. Um, anything else we want to say about it before we move on to Jedi Knight? Going uh, once, no, going just twice. Simply that I, no, no, no. Uh, just that I think it, you know, by this point in the, in the series, 
we kind of knew it's interesting, you know, whereas I think particularly season one was far more episodic, much, much more willing to say, okay, maybe one episode, two episodes storyline, then we move on ahead to the next storyline. By season four, these are all stringing along. Each episode, even if you're finishing up one story arc, it's leading right into the next one. It is. And the minute you get frustrated, the minute you get frustrated with crawler commanders, they bring all that stuff back in the last two episodes. So, um, Mm -hmm. again, every all the all the dominoes were set up. So, Dave, everything's coming. Everything's come together. One thing I wanted to say about the the joke that uh, oh, did we steal the same shell? Like they they go on these same similar missions over and over and over, and so like there are moments of repetition and rhyming in this series that if you're not <laughs> appreciative of the fact that oh, what's the spin going to be this time? You know they're going to be do it a little bit different than they did the last time. Uh, if you're not thinking in those terms, uh, you may get a little bored with some of the repetition involved um but these last several episodes are all fairly unique and so here we're moving on to jedi knight and i think it's important if you didn't notice it yet kids knight is spelled n-i-g-h-t not knigget not knigget nope okay so we'll we'll hit play on the count of three and one two three play um and we are at the Rebels' hideout <clears throat> somewhere. Um, Kanan meditating. And we're getting flashbacks to actually dialogue from previous episodes of Rebels between he and Ezra. And the Loth Wolf again. You'll notice that Kanan is blind um Mm -hmm. that is an an event that actually occurs during the course of the series end of season Um, two in twilight of the apprentice yep mm -hmm. i love how he explains here he he gives uh command of the mission to Ezra because he admits that his feelings for hera may cloud his judgment and he's recognizing that number one this is kind of a first step towards you know the finale regarding uh Ezra's role in liberating the fall it's also you know he they've reached a point of trust that Kanan can trust his apprentice to come up with a brilliant plan to plan to rescue somebody he cares for and also recognition of how clouded he is within the force that you know he can't see beyond what he may have to do because of the person he loves it really is an important step for Ezra here um, to be able to lead that mission. Um, because again, like you said, the events that occur later on um, are much more believable in the context of this having to occur already. And spoiler alert. Um, but uh, do you think Kanan knows that is his time is fleeting? You know, that's an interesting question. It, it, part of me wondered if, if he did recognize that. Part of me thinks, you know, that might be why he's having uh, all those flashbacks in his mind uh, to all his, the events that we've seen between him and his surrogate family aboard the ghost. And I mean, uh, it's, it's maybe that's why the Wolf is there. 
it's t- it's time for it, it something has to happen oh, it's kind of like okay so it's like in uh the first avengers movie you know where you know nick fury said you know they just needed a push and um Kanan, I think, recognizes that somebody else is going to have to, you know, the kids are going to have to step up now, you know. Um, okay, so uh, Thrawn has in his hands here um, a calicory is what it's called. It's, uh, it's, it's a, on Hera's home planet of Ryloth, um, each family has a calicory. It's a piece of artwork, and there's different pieces that, symbolize memorialize family members or different hot milestones in the family um but the big thing with thrawn is that he is not just a ruthless tactician but he is incredibly gifted with uh you know appreciating and interpreting art um it's the most evil art major you will ever meet and here we got Ezra on this communications tower, which was his home. He was living there um, at the beginning of the series. And this also is where um, you see uh, Sabine um, in the trailer for Ahsoka. So just uh, kind of interesting there. You're right. I mean, there's this point about how this show has brought us back to the beginning at this point. Is when we first meet Ezra, he's hiding out here, living here. He's an orphan. He has nobody. And now there you this is where his family lives with him as they're planning on how to liberate his planet. And then becomes the home of members of his family when they're trying to feel close to him. Nowhere else to go. Man, guys, I haven't watched Rebels since uh episode or season three of The Mandalorian. Good lord, did they do a good job with Zeb. Mm-hmm. in the Mandalorian. I mean, we said it at the time, but when you look at this now and it's so, so good. Yeah, it does, it does I mean, and that's one thing. I mean, if nothing else, they've shown a level, I mean, and it helps that you have Dave Loney with it, but there, there's a level of respect to the characters and the shows that came before it, not just Rebels, but Clone Wars as well. So here's what we were talking about last week. We saw this is Kanan. He's got the knife and he's kneeling before an altar of sorts and he's cutting off his ponytail, which we started to see Sabine do. Um, so Kanan is is making a, a transformation. And and actually, you know, he's been one of the one of the leads, you know, of the rebels, but he has never stepped into that pure leadership role he's always been he was always kind of like "Eh, i don't really want to get together with the entire rebel alliance but he wasn't going to desert you know his family um but now it's he's stepping back into that jedi role i think you know it's going to be interesting if we see force ghost kanan in ahsoka and I'm sorry. I just I just noticed something too when he comes out mm-hmm. and he's short hair and everything. This is the first time you ever see his lightsaber hilt fully put together, hanging on its side. It's usually in two pieces hanging off the back. So he is really, yeah, he's really saying now he's back to being a Jedi. 
He's back to being Caleb Doom. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I said it last week. I'd get to your point about you know Force Ghost. I don't know if we'll see Force Ghost, you know, but I bet we hear Force Ghost, Kanan. Um, I mean, Freddie Prince Jr. is available, and yeah. you know he'd be more than glad to be a part of it. I'm sure. You know, and if and if you think people freaking out or Qui Gon Jinn at the end of uh, Obi Wan Kenobi was a big moment. Uh, Force Ghost Kanan Jarrus in the uh, in an episode of Ahsoka would be tremendous. By the way, this is one of the interesting things. Like, so um, so Ezra's plan is to imitate these large bats that exist on the fall that exist around the edges of the uh, city. They build kind of like hand gliders, and uh, they're. Uh, they're, that's how they're going to sneak in because that's what Ezra does. He's observant. It's uh, quite observant about what people pay and don't pay attention to. Oh, yeah, we get that. We get and, the we get the name drop and the reference to Rogue One here because he's uh, Tarkin's talking about Orson Krennic and Project, Project Stardust. Stardust. So uh, that's kind of the idea. That they're fighting for resources within the uh, Empire for between Empire and operations as to what projects can I get the funding and the resources and uh, whatnot, you know, which is, of course, is going to put, take Thrawn out of the equation for the rest of this episode, at least. Which makes it more of a likely success story. Right. Mm -hmm. The starting quarterbacks got it. He's got a knee injury. So, you know, yeah, you're on your second string. Um, Yeah, dead air. Uh, so we're, uh, I mean, we're watching Rook as he's uh, it's, it's checking really, on the Imperials. It, you know, it's kind of. I get the. <laughs> I guess I wish they would have on this one. What just in previous episode, you know, Ezra commandeered an actual animal. It's like, why not use your force abilities that you that are so strong to connect with nature and just connect with three loath bats. Because otherwise, this is like, how did they? There's, there can't be enough wind to keep you aloft for that long and that high <laughs> to get, you know, to sneak in. It's like, uh, it would have been far more believable if he would have, you know, used a Jedi mind trick to get loath bats to fly them in. But anyway, I, I think part of me thinks that it's an acknowledgement that Ezra still doesn't have full confidence in his own abilities yet. Um, oh, yeah. You love this little moment where Kanan uh, is counseling Ezra about, you know, being observant and listening. And you're like, well, wait a minute. And he's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? It's like, come on, dude. It's almost like they want to tell us that Kanan's uh, two days away from retirement. Yeah. And is that the first time that Kanan says, may the force be with you? I believe so, yes. And I think, you know, one of the interesting, because this is one of the interesting aspects of this character of Kanan is that we get to know him first, you know, as as he's climbing down, he senses something important is in the office. But no, but that, that's why I think that opening moment in uh, The Bad Batch was so big. It kind of gave us the start of his journey when he's having to flee 
from Order 66. Uh, in the last decade or so, we've kind of mentioned in past uh, episodes how the Star Wars Lucasfilm has done a good job of kind of showing us again and again the impact that that such a seminal moment and uh, what it had on the people who survived it. And uh, I think it's such a big deal for uh, for Kanan because he spent so many years on the run, hiding who he was, pretending to be somebody else. And even when he was helping people, he was trying to avoid doing something that would call attention to him. And, you know, him saying, may the force be with you, wearing his lightsaber on his belt, I mean, on his, his belt, it's all a sign of, I am reclaiming all that the Empire took from me. I also like how um, in Rebels and in um, The Mandalorian, we've taken this mind probe, something that was on screen for a total of what, about 10 seconds in A New Hope, and it like became this iconic thing. You know, I just, I just, I, 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 it's, it's funny how the smallest things were so meaningful to people because I remember that thing scared the hell out of me you know, in a, in a new hope when I was a kid. Um, yeah. Even, a, even as a teenager, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> well, and, and you know, this, you know with you. I mean, cause you had two, uh, two moments, both well, one in a new hope and one in a, in a empire where you see Vader torturing people. It's like, wow, it's such a big deal. And so, the idea that it would just torture Princess Leia and he's bringing this droid and he's got this big sharp needle and no. <laughs> and here we see Kanan effect, affecting the rescue. This is a little spin on the normal interrogation scene where you actually see the effect of the drugs on her. Yeah, and she's, she's, she's essentially stoned. Drunk. Yeah, she's stoned right now, yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, it, they they had hints of, I mean, it was obvious there was something between Hera and Kanan, but it was like, I think in season four, when they really started being a little bit more overt about it from a storytelling standpoint. And, you know, so I, I like how they laid the breadcrumbs. This, uh, so this doesn't stand out. You know, and they had another moment of uh, kind of intimacy, you know, where they almost kissed, like in a couple episodes prior to this one. So again, I like how they they just kind of, like I said, breadcrumb that in. There were in there's been other movies where it's just like that made no sense whatsoever. Um, so, but we're rescuing Hera. I love this little moment where she's like, you know, your hair hasn't been this short since we first met. Oh, uh, you haven't gotten me a present since we first met. And then he gives her the Calicori, which is taken from uh, the offices of Thrawn. And she's like, this is mine. You can't give me, it's not a present. You can't give me what's mine. You know, and in uh, Andor, in Luthen's shop, there is a Calicori, actually. I think that it's, uh, I think that it's really tragic um, that she's, not in her right mind and then she's like giving him a hard time and, and making these sorts of decisions in their last moments. I was going to say in T minus 10 minutes. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it is very, very tragic. 
You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, and this goes to the uh, Legends Expanded Universe, uh, the book Vector Prime where Chewbacca dies. Because uh, there's always this line that always stuck with me up from the point of view of Princess Leia when after Chewbacca dies rescuing her children and has a moon literally dropped on top of him, she says that they always got out. And that the fact that even though sometimes they got out by the skin of their teeth, by the you know, by scraping the scrape of their fingernails, no, by the thinnest of margins, made made her always think that they would always get out. So when the moment finally came that one of them didn't, it hit her twice as hard. Because even though they've been running uh against the Empire, even though they've been leading a say you know, the Rebel Alliance, even though they've been doing so much, they all made it back home at some point. So it made her feel not necessarily invincible, but that that would always be the case. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing with Hera. Yes, she's somewhat loopy from the drug, but there's this sense that they've managed to get away from the Empire all this time. So this is the way it's going to be all the time. By the way, if I can, uh, I, I mean, mm-hmm. give not spoiler alert, but anyway, uh, did you guys see um, Lego set um, for Ahsoka? It shows that um, little Jason Sendula is going to be in Ahsoka. Sure. So that is the the child of Hera and Kanan. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we are to assume that she's probably with child right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what the gestation period is for Ryloth, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, but anyway... Um, but I, but I think, and I saw an article. They said that might be the link between. Um, I mean, well, I guess can we see maybe a Jason Sindula in um, the Ray Skywalker uh, movie? Would that be, be possible? Because he would be. Um, let's say Jedi Ten. So he'd be about four, 40, 50 years old. Probably right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, remember, we get to see him as a little toddler or a little boy when he's piling with his mom by the end. And you know, if he this takes place about a year or so before the Battle of Yavin, so if you figure he's somewhat human, so he's aging at the same age group. Uh, at Basoka, he should be a good what seven years old, eight years old, and that takes place twenty some odd years before. The sequels. So anyway, I, I mean that'd be mm-hmm. kind of it'll be like I said, kind of a interesting to see how that uh, that character plays out as well. I, I think like the um, the romance between these two is really well done. Ultimately, um, because I think like there's a there's this tension between the two of them that's genuine. It's not one of those things that feels tacked on or forced uh um well but even in the in the like very first season i think she refers to him as love i -hmm. mean they've been laying those that groundwork for you know a long time yeah i think they had a past of some kind prior to you know this season when apparently that had culminated um but yeah it just never it always did have kind of i don't know not a um 
one of those traditional sitcom romances, uh, will they, won't they? Um, and for a long time, it was like that. It, it, they really did lay the groundwork. And it goes to that idea of the surrogate family unit that Ezra ends up with, where in a way, Kanan's dad, Hera's mom, and mm -hmm. Seb and uh, Sabine are siblings to him, with Chopper being the uh, family cat, the evil family cat. But yeah, no, it's uh, I, th I think they, you know, they made a good, they did it in such a way in which it felt natural. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like we didn't need to know like this was gonna be a big mystery. So um, we're uh, we're thinking everything is like going right to plan. Everything is just hunky dory. We've rescued Hera. Everybody's going to meet up and rendezvous. Um, I really did a good job at avoiding spoilers with with Rebels, and so what's coming up really took me by surprise. Um, I mean, I mean you you had an idea that something was going to happen. But what I do find interesting is that what Kanan exhibits here with some of the force powers is going to be similar to what you saw with Grogu um, in the Mandalorian. So I like that they did that in the Mandalorian to show that, Hey, this is, this is one of those typical Jedi, you know, bag of tricks type of deal. Um, it's not just something one person did, you know, um, in a, in, a, in, a, in a pivotal moment, you know, yeah. power only exhibits once. And here, they're at the top of the fuel depot, about to get rescued. Everything's gone according to plan. Sabine piloting and smiling and saluting. Um, I think I was spoiled a little bit just by the title. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had a real bad feeling. Um, about this? Yeah, and especially because they're laying it on really thick here, and she she declares her love for him, and um, well, and that's I, I mean it's 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 kind of a gutsy move. Uh, oh, it is for for a Disney, you know, kids cartoon show to, I mean, it's, what's a Disney story without killing a parent? Come on now. Well, I mean, it's yeah, um, but here we got Kane and I mean. You never realized how powerful he was, but he's holding back all of the flames from this fuel, um, this uh, fuel depot, yeah. and pushing everybody else away um, who's trying to come help him. He's going to force push Hera into the uh, into the transport. But again, he can't. He finally. This is the first time since order 66 that he truly embraced what his hero journey was supposed to be and to be a Jedi, what it meant to be a Jedi, because I mean, that is a criticism of Kanan is that he, and they, again, in the first episode, Callus points it out, you know, kind of, or well, not the first episode, but the first season, you know, the Callus points it out. It's like you, you hide your, or the grand inquisitor does you, you hide your, um, your lightsaber you uh, you know he changed his name he you know didn't embrace any of the all, any of the jedi ways for the longest time until ezra came about um but this was the first time he actually said 
you know, I am a Jedi. I mean, I mean, in his actions, sacrificed right. himself. Force is used for knowledge and defense, never for attack. That's exactly what he did right here, you know, in protecting his friends. Um, so it, it, that was a a really good character arc. I'm sorry, it's, it's a good death for Kanan as well. well it really is. Um, it's one of the more impactful deaths in, in Star Wars. All of Star Wars, yeah. Because um, he's, he's a main character for four seasons he's one of your main characters and and yeah they they in a way they they telegraphed a lot of what was going to happen but again it was really gutsy for them to ultimately do it you know um and and do it in a way that it felt it still felt meaningful uh um he saved his friends uh the fuel depot went up in flames um, um partly because of uh the imperials incompetence but um Ultimately, it was it was a victory, in a sense, for the rebels' side. And it just um, you come away walk you walk away from that feeling like, well, he didn't die for nothing. But you know, and that's and that's the that's the benefit of these you know TV shows, and of you know whether it's the animated stuff or Mandalorian, because it's far more effective than you know Obi Wan sacrificing himself in A New Hope, because we'd only known Obi Wan at that point for you know an hour, and mm-hmm. and then his death actually gets kind of I'm gonna use air quotes cheapened by the fact that in the next two movies he comes back as a Force ghost, so it's like all right, well, Obi-Wan's still here. We can still talk to him. He can still give us, you know, tell us to go to Dagobah and stuff. Um, but here, I mean, it is a, we've gotten to know Kanan for, you know, three and a half seasons. And as, and then, and then after this, it's like, he's, it's, he's just gone, you know? Um, so it was like we said, Dave, it's far more effective than about, anything else in star wars and, and you can still go watch on youtube you can still go watch people watching it for the first time and just the tears the shock because i don't think it's surprising it gets you go back and you watch it and instead it's it's almost comical all the uh i got two more days to retire you know tropes that it's hitting but yet nobody saw it coming i think like i said like i was saying that quote from princess leia the idea that they always made it out so they would continue to always make it out was always in their mind. It never came to to that concept that they wouldn't. So, um, but anyway, Dave, you were gonna say. I think if you go in spoiler free on all of this stuff, and and um, like Anakin's turn would would be one of the biggest shocks in in the whole thing. Um, but this would be like right up there with that. Uh, just it's just a gut punch. Um, like my lord, like you're taking him away from us now what now and also but also the thing look, looking at the journey that Ezra's going through and then that's not saying that he probably would have needed uh Hanan to die but it's part of his the journey it's recognizing that the path of a Jedi involves sacrifice and that sometimes that may be what he's called to do so it makes me wonder if Kanan had not perished here would the finale have worked out the same way as it worked out? By the way, I just I just remembered something, so I just went back to the beginning of the episode. Um, Kanan had to have known mm-hmm. 
what is coming because these I said I said flashbacks and they weren't all flashbacks I don't think any of them were the things that he was hearing um when he's meditating at the very beginning of this episode you we first of all have Kanan saying want a ride and that's from I think the first uh season first episode basically mm -hmm. then Ezra the Jedi temple is in danger um that's from a previous episode but then we get Hera saying, uh, Kanan, you haven't gotten me a present since we first met. So that was later on in this episode. So he's having premonitions here. And then after that, you have Kanan saying, oh, oh, come on, pause work for me. Um, sorry, I got to get through him now. But so he's hearing stuff that's happening, going to happen later in the episode okay you haven't got me a present since we met oh he says uh kane says you can learn what it truly means to be a jedi that's a flashback um and then ezra saying you didn't prepare that me for this kanan that is coming in the next episode um spoiler alert um and then kane is saying there's something i need to tell you um and then you have Ezra saying, I know I can always count on you. That's coming in the last episode. That's what he says to uh, Sabine. So he was having, and I guess, you know, Yoda said, you know, you can see into the future through the force, you know, always uncertain the future is, but um, that was just really well done from Filoni's standpoint, you, you hear these things you don't know, you know, until you've watched the episode a bunch of times that, oh, crud, they're, that line was at the beginning. So I just thought it was really well done. Oh, and it's, it's one of the good things that, that by this point, you can tell that the Dave Filoni and his team were comfortable with the story they were telling, they knew where they were going and they were coming up. Putting stuff like that, knowing knowing that the audience is going to be willing to go along for the ride, I think shows a level of confidence. And I think that you've seen that displayed in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, and hopefully we'll see it in Ahsoka. It's that sense of, we're going to take energy on a ride, and you got to trust us. But if you've been with them, you know that they can pay that off. Yeah, and even in Empire Strikes Back, Luke sees... Han and Leia and Chewie's future, see him getting tortured mm -hmm. on Cloud City. So, I, and it's kind of funny because all these, like I said, all these powers that we see and people freak out over, oh, here's a new force power. Um, and it, it, I've said it before, it drives me bonkers. It's like, really, there's only, there's only two arrows in the quiver that we can have. We can either move things with, you know, we can either move things or we can Jedi mind trick people. So it's like, you know, okay, we'll give you force lightning, but it can only be from a bad guy. You know, it's like, I don't know, that Star Wars fandom kind of drives me crazy from time to time. The, um, I think one of the examples that immediately springs to mind for me is Rey, um, not, not even with her healing power, right, which was, you know, something that people hadn't really seen. 
Um, but Except also, for the Mandalorian episode the night before yeah, when they all said, hey, yeah, watch this episode. <laughs> Everybody watch this episode, yeah. Um, so you don't get then, mad. <laughs> um, but then there was the, um, when she would get, she got the flashback memory from touching an object, which again is a, is a Jedi power or a Force-sensitive power that people have. And um, not particularly new. Uh, <laughs> just something that threw people for a loop when they saw it uh in the theater because it was like we don't that doesn't usually happen like what i'm not like you said aaron it's like shouldn't it just be mind tricks and force lightning but um you know it 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 also for me like it calls to mind the premonition aspect of it to me also uh helps tell us where we're headed um and the world between worlds um is coming well and that's in a few episodes and that speaks to you know all different times and different places and different people all being connected well and we've got i mean i I was just going to say that in these next couple episodes this is when things get really weird um as far as i mean they really do test your you know, your ability to accept some of these things, because like I said, and we got doom and wolves at the door, um, wolves and a door, um, the next two episodes, we'll talk about those next week. But I mean, you've got wolves that can like travel th- speed of light, I guess. I don't know what it how it's, we'll see that when it comes up, you know, we've got, uh, the world between worlds where you can, like I said, we, you can basically time travel. Um, there's, so this is when Filoni starts getting really weird and um but I think they did think so it, they did so much at leading up to it that you were accepting of it that it's like all right cool you know um I don't know it's almost like a, like you know if I would equate it to something I would equate it to the way Neil Gaiman treats cats you know they're creatures that can exist in multiple worlds and Here's the veils of other worlds as they move from one end of that one house to another. So uh, I think that's one of those elements that, again, going back to the mystery of the Force, the characters that we follow exhibit and understand the Force in one way, but the creatures and the living things in other parts in the, in the galaxy can experience the Force in other ways and can maybe have other Force sensitivities, other Force powers. Again, it's a mystery. That's That's what makes it so grand and so difficult to wrap your head around it's not supposed to be just here's a book and you can only do these things it's no you may only be able to do these things but we don't understand the totality of it uh, george left that open-ended because that way he could write whatever he needed and dave and uh ryan johnson decided let's play with that and we'll have a big bone about it and um so these two episodes uh i mean Give it, with the exception of Cain and Sacrifice, they're they're not all that exciting of episodes, but definitely the chess piece that needs to get knocked down. Um, I'm reminded of the quote that says, "Change will not happen until the current reality becomes more painful than the possible reality." And so, again, you have Sabine and Ezra, who were happy as a clam to be supporting cast members you know on the team and i think i I do think that kanan 
it's, it's very, like I said, very much Obi-Wan the same way. It was like, I got to do something like Nick Fury said, give them a push, you know, to accept their own hero's journey. And Ezra eventually does that. You know, he steps up and accepts his hero's journey within these next couple episodes. And I think Sabine is going to be going through that in the Ahsoka series. There's going to be something that mm-hmm. makes her accept her hero's journey. I think that's where, where she leaves off at the, at the end of this series at the very, very end. You, you, she kind of gets that um, faith put in her by Ezra who has already taken those steps. And, and, and he says, yes, you can, you can, you can walk this same path. But it feels um, a bit, but it takes her like multiple years because all the we'll while find out, right? yeah, I mean, yeah. because it was after the battle of Endor, you know, um, at least that's what we're led to believe. Um, but yeah, so, uh, he leaned on her in those last, in the, the no, I know he did. I know he final did. But steps of his, you know, master plan to a hundred percent. But yeah, like I said, so she was... took her dear sweet time saying, okay, now I'm going to do something about it. She just kind of house sat for a while. And that's not a criticism of her. I'm just saying that, um, the dominoes are falling. It's like Kanan accepts his journey and does what he needs to, what needs to be done. And he's counting on Ezra to take it over. Ezra does the same thing to Sabine. Um, and Sabine also within rebels, it was, you know, accepting her, you know, coming to grips with her past and what she has done. Um, you know, she's always been proud to be a Mandalorian, but I don't think it was until those first couple episodes of season four where she became, you know, they're titled Heroes of Mandalore, but she steps up and says, you know, it kind of accepts her identity as a Mandalorian, you know, not just I, in I, in name, but uh, yeah. I think to be fair to her, that there is a lot on her shoulders and, yeah. and has been. Um, and and I, I think like that could lend itself into like why you might refuse the call or why you might delay the call um, because it's it's a lot. She had a lot going on there with her family and the dark saber and all of that. Um, and, and you know there was war going on. Yeah. There was a lot. So I would love to get more answers about that. And that's what that was series. my point. Is that I I think. I think that's awesome that it's obvious that's what's going to be happening in the Ahsoka series is that, but it was something that I was not expecting because of it. I thought it was going to be about Ahsoka and, you know, but I think here again, it's, we're propelling a certain story, you know, within the, you know, with it, I don't know. It's, I, I was not expecting Sabine to, have a hero's journey story um and so that and i'm excited about that it makes total sense but you know i just didn't think that that was going to be in the ahsoka series so um well and and part of the dynamic is that hero's journeys are not necessarily one once and done or they don't necessarily have a particular timeline or amount of time in which they need to be completed for Ezra, they go from when we first meet him in Rebels, first episode to the finale, as far as we know, until we see him again. Whereas for Sabine, it may be that her hero's journey started 
starts after she's accomplished everything she needed to do to help protect her home world or defend Lothal and when she goes with, uh, with Soka, or it could be that it started when she chose to run away and uh, joined up with the rebels. It's it's gonna be interesting how they recontextualize now that she's an older character, that she's had some years in her journey and you know, we're imagining that it's happening concurrently with uh, Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett, that she lived through the purge of Mandalore. Yeah. And how she's gonna, how did that impact her? Because I mean, We've seen the impact they had on characters like Bo-Katan and some of the other Mandalorians. And she was as much a noble Mandalorian as any one of them. And it'd be interesting how she contextual now for a character that was very happy but underneath had a lot of scars. It'd be interesting how this one comes to the forefront in her in the journey with Ahsoka. So Dave, I got a question for you. You know how people, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we knew people were, you said you weren't too surprised because of the title of the episode. There was also people were, if you're listening to podcasts, they were clamoring for somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die. We've got to do something. You know, there, there has to be the Obi-Wan death. You know, um, do you think that Kanan's sacrifice and death came at the right time a little bit too late? What do you think? It worked. I thought it worked really well. Um, they, I think they sort of ran out of time uh, in, in a way. Like they knew that they were going to have the opportunity to complete the story. And so they, they were like, we're going to complete the story in this singular season. And so like you might say that we might have been a little rushed in that. Um I don't think it really comes across that way. I think that's people just, you know, um, look looking back and and, and and guessing that much. I think as you watch the episodes unfold, they they unfold in a really um, well paced manner. Fredo, well, and again, okay. no, that was going to say that was what no voice. I just said same question. Do you think it was? Mm-hmm. Um, right time or a little bit too late? No, I think it was the appropriate time. Again, uh, we haven't mentioned this, but Rebel Season 4 is truncated. It, I mean, the first three seasons were 20-some-odd episodes. This one's only, hold on, let me confirm make sure, 15. And 15 is a double-length one, so you can say 16 if you want to. But it felt like it was very much gold. It's, it's far more uh, goal-oriented than the previous seasons even had been. Uh, and those previous seasons had some great moments. I think, like kind of like I said, I think given that this is Ezra's story, there had to come a point where he had to have almost no safety net underneath his feet. So the idea is now he's planning missions, that he's leading, that he's taking charge. Uh, this is kind of the next step. Unfortunately, it's like, okay, now we're going to take your master away from you and you got to figure it out on your own. There's there's no uh, there's nobody to tell you no. You should have done this better this way because the stakes get progressively higher. Now he's fighting for the freedom and life of his home world. So if you get it wrong, there's nobody to look back and say you could have done it this way. So, but I think I think hitting it at this moment kind of tells you also you're approaching the end because if you get into this point, you, you know it's. You know, well, the, I, the moments are, you know, things are happening that cannot come back. 
to me, I, I, I take issue with those on those podcasts that I was listening to that said, it, you know, should have come earlier. Um, because I, I think it would have been, it, it would have been, it, it just, it was, it was, I agree. It was at the right time. I'm glad because they have now one, two, three, four, five episodes. There's five, there's five episodes. So it, there's, that's time to deal with the loss to regroup and to, you know, triumph. So it's, it's, it was, like I said, it's really well planned. Um, uh, I don't have, with the exception of the animation style where it looks too much like, um, Davy and Goliath, you know, in the first season, um, I don't have many complaints about rebels as a, as a series. No, I was just going to say, particularly once it hit, once it hit its stride, I mean, it's it's amazing how quickly you find yourself just hitting next episode, next episode, next episode. You just want to get the next part of the story. It's uh, when it's you know when it's finally comfortable and you know you're comfortable with the characters, the setting, the story. You just go, and it's surprising how quickly you devour it. You end up left, you end up left wanting more, which is sort of a good story. All right, Dave, final thoughts from you. I mean, I, you know, we're going to be talking more about some of the uh, particulars. Uh, uh, we're going to be doing this with some, with some more episodes. Um, what I would say is once again, plugging the series itself. Uh, I put together a star Wars rebels viewing guide a couple of years back. Uh, I'll include the link uh, in this episode. So you can check that out. If you want to go back and, try to decide just how much brushing up you want to do prior to Ahsoka that that'll be out there for you. Yep. And, uh, the last thing I was going to, you know, like I said about the, uh, rebels versus clone wars. And I enjoy clone wars, but after a while it, it, it's tough when you have seven seasons and the main characters all have the same face and same voice for the most part, it gets a little, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's just kind of weird. Um, but rebels is one of those things where you can find your, you can, you've, you've, it's, it's just so easy to get into. Um, like I said, just have to get past the anime. It's funny. I was just looking, I scrolled back to the first season cause I was seeing how many episodes were, were in each season. You look at the thumbnails for that versus the thumbnails for season four and that the animation just went leaps and bounds so anyway um neither here nor there um so all right well we've we've lost our our kind of our leader and so now it's time for people to step up and do something about it and we'll watch those episodes next week um and until then we will say who dat who dat everybody have a great week my